Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, Pastor Adam Osier wrap up their discussion on Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at a New Testament passage and its application. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and errant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and faithful service in His kingdom since 1964. Learn more and apply at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. My name is Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osher. All right, welcome back. Uh, We're here for our New Testament episode on Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession. Yeah, a completely different change in focus from the Old Testament stuff we talked about last week where we were really latching on to the talisman concept in the superstition built into the Roman Catholic doctrine of the Mass, which is what uh, the Lutherans were rejecting. On this episode, we're going to talk about the buying and selling the things of God, which directly flow into the indulgences, uh, which flow out of the private Mass for the dead, which the Roman Catholics would do during the time of the Reformation, again, as a fundraiser for the church, that they mm-hmm. would, you could buy your deceased relative's time out of purgatory financially by giving to the church. Taking advantage of the things of God for personal gain. Yep. So that's, that's our direct connection, but uh, I mean, there's a, there's a, a direct example <clears throat> of doing that in the book of Acts, which is where we're at. Yeah. Yep, we're in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read the text for us, a little bit longer section, but uh, Acts 8, 9 through 24. It says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because of a lo- for a long time because uh, he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for, me to the, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Here ends the reading. Amen. Amen. So I want to get your guys' takes on this, both of you actually. I have long suspected that Simon Magus or Simon the Magician is included in the flow of Acts as a direct contrast to Simon Peter. 
is that the emphasis is always on their second name. So Simon's the proper name. And then uh, the traditional church has called Simon the Magician, Simon Magus, or that he has the power of God that is called great. Uh, And then Simon Peter comes to them and the focus, uh, his proper name is Simon. The focus is on Peter, which means rock. And then Jesus uses that to launch into on Peter's confession on this rock, I will build my church. And so I think there is a direct comparison and contrast being made between what Simon the magician is doing for personal gain versus who Simon Peter is and all the, you know, the distance that he has come and now being kind of the head of the apostles and in his bold confession of faith. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I was going to say, just the talk about silver here, yep. it made me think of uh, Peter when uh, they said, you know, silver and gold have I none, uh, but what I have I, I give to you. Uh, the and name going of Jesus. back to Judas too. Yeah, yep, yep, th- yep that. Uh, but yeah, wanting to use the silver here to purchase this uh, power. Good alliteration as well. Yeah, all I can think of is this this poor sucker named Simon who's like got these parlor tricks that, you know, he's like the best in his craft and then he like runs into the Holy Spirit and it's like, whoops. You know, this I'm not I'm not nearly that nice. good. Yeah. I want this. I want, I want what these guys have. And it's interesting because and in, in this is where we, we can talk about the things of the faith, right? That word faith oftentimes is distinguished by some in terms of a saving faith and then a just a faith that is not saving. Um, one of the article or one of the the books that I appreciated reading in seminary to kind of distinguish that was um, who was it was Bruner Bruner, yep. Bruner. Yep. Uh, the, the theology, theology of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit on page two hundred two of that book he says there are no adjectives faith has no adjectives in the book of Acts. And, and so this idea of belief then in, cha- in verse, um, I just realized now that I quoted the, the, the page number yeah. and you guys, that's what you were looking yeah. surprised about. Ken Jennings us again. Yeah, sorry. Numbers stick out to me. Um, most other things don't. But when in verse 12, it says, he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, uh, Philip, that is. Uh, they were baptized men and women. And then 13, even Simon himself believed. And I'm, I'm inclined to believe that <laughs> Simon indeed trusted in the true God. And it's interesting there because we talked last week some about the people of God being critiqued differently. And it was like that that whole argument toward the end of repent, you know, uh, in verse 22, repent of this wickedness of yours when he tries to, you know, buy this power for money. It, it's like he, he knew the truth, but kind of slipped back, backslid into his old nature kind of ways. And that idea of I'm, I'm looking for, for money, what, what God was he pursuing? What idol was he looking for? Where was he placing, you know, his hope and the thing that he looked to for the most good? Where was that? And, it, and we see it. He's slipping back into the idea that it's money. I think there was a fear there. And it's interesting how um, when they call him out on this, he, he answers. He says, pray for me to the Lord. Like, I, I, I get this. And I, I view that whole thing when you bring up Simon Peter, I view it as a similar thing. You had this, you know, in Simon Peter, you have this moment of weakness. You know, I'll never, you know, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter, you're exactly right, blah, blah, blah. I'm never going to deny you. He's like, yeah, wait, yeah, just, just wait 20 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's going to, you know, it's going to be ugly here in just a little bit. 
Uh, and then he repents. And it was it was almost like it's an encouragement to me that even in this most absurd and kind of heinous of ways, this guy is is stepping in and and completely misunderstanding, misconstruing the gospel. He steps in and the word of God to repent, the call to repentance, the law does its work. And here he is. Pray for me. Uh, and he's looking, I think, to the right direction. I find that interesting. No, I think that's a great way to round it out. I, I also think we can we can really launch forward from that. Uh, if we're going to put best construction on there, and, and Simon was truly a believer, and and I think he was, this is the exact reasons for the list of qualifications that Paul gives Timothy and Titus in those letters about what it takes to be an overseer or a leader in the church. And one of those requirements is not a new convert, because there there is a necessary amount of catechesis that is involved to getting us out of superstition and not understanding the power of God and getting us really to appreciate how God works and what he's about. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Brett? Yeah, I think you guys are on the right track. I, I'm still, I feel like you have more to say, Jason, on that connection between Simon Peter and, or, or did, the, did that come No, I, I think Adam rounded it out yeah. nice. I always have more to say because I love the sound of my own voice and I'm a radio host. <laughs> uh, that's what I do. But I... There are no wasted words in scripture. And my church is going through a study on Luke and Acts right now. And, and the, the Missouri Synod commentator on Luke is uh, a prof from Fort Wayne named Dr. Arthur Just. Uh, and he talks frequently about the symbolism that Luke bakes into his historical narrative that it, there's always a purpose beyond behind the details that he reveals in the order, which is where I was launching from. You've got a Simon with two names or a Simon with a, a name and a title. You, you've got the element of faith and failure. And, and then you've got Peter rounding out the picture of Peter in the gospel by rebuking this man in, in much the same way that Jesus rebuked Peter, you know, that, that's following, you know, the get me, get thee behind me, Satan, is now followed up with, you know, you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity and, you know, pray if possible, the intent of your heart may forgive, be forgiven. It's, you know, there's so many things about the gospels that are popping off the page to me. You've got the rebuke of Jesus, now the rebuke of Peter. You've also got Peter talking about repent if it may be forgiven you. And Peter was the one who comes to Jesus and say, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Up to seven times? And Jesus says seven times 70. And so it's not a comment on whether Simon should be forgiven. It's whether Simon's going to be repentant in the way now that he has been identified to be sinful. That's that's an interesting connection. I, I had never thought through. You're right about Luke, though. His writings are fantastic that way. Just all of the the themes that come out, and you don't even really see it until you've you've read through it a number of times and read commentators like Just, right, who are able to, you know, really pick out those things. But the thing that stands out to me, I wonder if was there any irony in that comment? <laughs> May your silver perish with you. You know, you have neither part or lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness of yours. I wonder wonder if there was any pang of irony that was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some self-reflection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, the, but, yeah. but I, in the same vein, I wonder. But he if, learned, he learned, yeah. Well, and, and I wonder if Peter, of all people, understands the value of a sharp rebuke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think Peter gets to where he gets at the end of Luke 
or at the end of John or wherever, if Jesus doesn't rebuke him that sharply because that cuts to his heart and he realizes that he's failed in every way that Jesus predicted. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's extending the same thing to Simon, that it's not a, oh, never mind, you screwed up, ha ha, don't do it again. It's like, no, this is serious and you need to recognize it's serious. And that is a gracious thing of God. Yep. Yeah. That is a gracious thing of God because it, it, it well, yeah, it was, we do that. We do that to, to each other. When we talk as Christians talk to one another, it's like, uh, and this, this is my pet peeve with accountability groups. Okay. We have all these, you know, discipleship groups and the, the, the D groups as they're called different things. Um, where guys get together and they confess their sins to one another. Maybe they're struggling with a particular sin um, or whatever, and they, they really want to hold each other accountable. And, and sadly, what those events come to sometimes is permissiveness. Is permissiveness. It's the idea of, oh, man, I screwed up again this week. I really failed. Yeah, me too, man. Yeah, we're terrible sinners. That's not the gospel. That's not where we're led in, in that's not, that's not the, even the work of the law. That's this, that's this idea that somehow it's a self-justificatory. That was a, yeah, not yeah, the right word. Is that know, you nailed it. Did I? Yeah. Okay. Kind of way of looking at things that Just. I'm going to justify myself by my behaviors. And, and we kind of dumb down the law. It's a way of, it's a way of taking the law and watering it down to obans, uh, obans, commands that I'm okay and able to obey, right? I'm taking it down well. If Brett sins, I sin, we all sin. We're good then. No, 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 no. We're not good. And that's the whole point. We need that sharp rebuke. It's a mm -hmm. gracious thing of God when the law of God yep. is severe. It, it is absolutely severe. And right. God is gracious to us in allowing us to see just enough. If he pulled the whole curtain back, right? If we saw all of our sinfulness in what it was in crushed. life, we would, yeah, I mean, it, it would be despair to the point of suicide, yeah. but he gives us just enough to not let us be like the accountability groups that say, yeah, I screwed up this week too. You know, we're okay. It's, it's all right, man. Well, let's just try harder next week. No, peel back that law enough just to do, to let the law do its work. Yeah, and this is a great text of just showing how to do that kind of rebuke in the life of of each other, fellow believers. You know, even for this new believer, uh, Simon, uh, and, and the purpose was to lead them, to lead him to repentance. Yeah. And there, in that vein of repentance, there's another parallel going on in Luke's writings because this directly mirrors Peter's preaching from Acts chapter two. You know, where where. You know, Peter says to the crowds, know therefore for certain that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Mm -hmm. And the response of the crowds is, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter's first words are, repent therefore. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. Uh, in fact, there's this kind of 800 pound gorilla in, in the chapel that, that we're not touching on. It's the whole weirdness of the Holy Spirit and the baptism only into Jesus, you know, and mm -hmm. there's a wing of the church that will, will take this passage and go, yeah. aha, right. you Lutherans it's, are it's totally wrong thing. about yeah. baptism. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's not it at all, because right. what's happening here is the Samaritan Pentecost. And that's often how this passage is referred to. And so when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached first, among the Jews by the apostles, you have the Holy Spirit descending on them and then the baptism uh, into, you know, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all that stuff happening in Acts 2. And it's a direct result of Peter's preaching. What you have here is Simon, a Samaritan, and the other Samaritans have the gospel preached to them as the, the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. 
You will be witness to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And this happens three times in the book of Acts is that the Jerusalem and Judea happens in Acts 2. And then the Samaritans happen in Acts 8. And then the Gentiles happen in Acts 10. All of which are preceded by signs and miracles. All of which are preceded by signs and miracles. And, and it's interesting how the signs and the miracles weren't ends in themselves, in, in, as we see in some charismatic movements or more Pentecostal movements. They weren't an end. They were a, a sign or a signal, a, a flag waving over here. Hey, look over here. Something new is happening. Exactly. And that's in each of those iterations. That's where we see those signs and wonders taking place as well. And the signs and wonders are there to draw our attention to the application of the law and the proclamation of the gospel. And that's what happens here. In Acts 2, the application of the law is you crucified Jesus, and here's, you know, repent therefore and be baptized every one of you, uh, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The application of the law in Acts 8 is the rebuke on Simon, and then the Holy Spirit has descended on the Samaritans, and the outcome is that Peter and John are preaching the gospel throughout the villages of the Samaritans. That's the verse before you cut off uh, verse 25. So everything in Luke's writings is designed to show the consistency of the application of God's word, to get us out of the mind of superstition Mm -hmm. and works righteousness and get us into the accomplished righteousness of Jesus Christ that is applied to us by faith and uh, delivered through the word of God. That's what's going on here and how we can relate this all the way back to Article 24 of the Oxford Confession. Hmm. So, so how, how were the Catholics in, in that day uh, with the Mass being like Simon Magus here? So the, the, the whole, the whole uh, indulgence practice was very much that way. And I don't know if they ever came with the same angle that Simon did. I think Simon came in, it sounds like, like he was looking to make money, like he saw an opportunity and he took it. And maybe that is what the Catholics were doing. But the idea that if you could control what the church is, if you could divorce scripture alone from the, the official teaching of the apostles, and you can add the tradition of the church as it's carried on through the day, there's a whole lot of control there. And in going into Luther's day, you know, if you can control even with the mass in a, in a way that people didn't understand, if you know, with language that they couldn't follow, it wasn't catechetical, which is what what the reformers were all about. They wanted this to be a catechetical movement, but that wasn't happening. That wasn't happening. That wasn't happening. When you take all those safeguards away, you've got this powerful entity that all they want is money. <laughs> you know, and, and they realize that with this power, you can manipulate people. They've completely shirked their responsibility and gone to do exactly what, you know, what, what uh, you know, um, I'm trying to remember the passage now. See here, my Ken Jennings fails me. Oh. But the whole idea of, you know, um, I don't know where I was going there. I, I <laughs> lost okay. Lost in the woods. Yeah. Right. Yes, got That's lost. Right. Well, let's, let's rewind a little bit and, and answer your question about how yeah. this compares to yeah. Simon Magus. So Simon Magus offers the apostles money so that whomever he lays his hands on may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you get one on the surface level, you get a sense that this is a matter of pride for him. And two, you get the sense that he has no idea how the Holy Spirit offers and that this is a power that Peter and John possess that they can give to whomever they want. And so the Simon has in, in uh, 
an incomplete, immature faith in God that turns into superstition. The Romans flip that on their head and that they're saying, we have this power and we can give it to whomever we want for a price. And so they, they take the spirit of Simon, but they put themselves in the role of Peter and John. And like, like Adam said, it, it shows up first in indulgences that the Pope can sell an indulgence to raise money. And, and indulgences, if my historical information is correct, and I might be wrong about this, and, and somewhere Dan Van Voorhees can um, shed a tear if I'm wrong, but indulgences come into play with this guy named Albert of Mainz. And Albert of Mainz was one of the electors of Germany, one of the guys who got a vote in who the next Holy Roman Emperor would be. And uh, so he was by a favor, um, given this hereditary position of an elector of mines. And then what ends up happening is he finagles it through bribery and in other matters that he gets a second vote. He becomes the only person to have two electoral votes in who the emperor is going to be. And to pay that off, he starts selling indulgences in Germany because of what he paid the pope to give him the second title. I think that's how it goes. And so Luther is just disgusted by this. And, and this starts off for Luther in the 95 Theses. And the 95 Theses were a commentary on the property, uh, the, the proper use of indulgences, and that the Christian's life should be a life of repentance. That's thesis number one, the best of all of the theses. <laughs> and uh, this keeps perpetuating itself, and, and the more the Pope makes by selling indulgences, the more indulgences he wants to sell. This gets co-opted or corrupted into the private mass. And that's what Melanchthon's commenting on in part in Article 24, is that the private mass is a mass that is said for the dead to get them out of purgatory and into heaven. And you would pay a priest to conduct a private mass in which the priest would give himself communion on behalf, on behalf of the deceased. And that's at the tail end of the apology uh, Melanchthon starts talking about masses for the dead. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Lutherans are condemning and why they say we do the mass better because we don't do private masses for the dead. I know where I was going. I figured if I talked long enough, you would get I'd it. I'd be able to figure it out. Your father is the devil. If that is your okay. gospel, your father is the devil. It's not, you're not following the true father. Well, we've got this. We've got the temple of the Lord from last week. You know, I've got this power to get. No, if that is your philosophy, you've bought into lies and your father's the devil. John 8, by the way, if you're curious. <laughs> Verse 44. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's where okay. we end up. Yeah. That, um, the gift of God is not to be manipulated by mm -hmm. our own pride. Mm -hmm. That's the Acts passage with Simon Magus. The gift of God is also not to be treated as a talisman that just works like a coupon or like a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's where Jeremiah 7 comes in. And the whole point to doing both of these Bible studies to round out yeah. our examination of Article 24 is that this is an ongoing problem. It has existed from time immemorial in the human condition, and it still exists now in the church. Indulgences, in fact, still exist in the Roman Catholic Church, although they don't sell them overtly. You, they, they sell them for pilgrimages now. But beyond, sale. beyond that, <laughs> we have so many things 
in the generic American church that prosperity gospel, prosperity gospel, um, the celebrity pastor notion that we're somehow better because our pastor is a celebrity fits under this thing. You send me money. I'll pray over this prayer shawl and I'll send it to you for the low low price of $150. And your prayers will be answered. And all of this stuff is turning the word and work of God into superstition that is on the level of astrology. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, I, I, maybe that's a good place to wrap up here. Um, any other closing comments as we finish today? I don't think so. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and, and catch us next time for a, a new arc of episodes. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on the Augsburg Confession. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.